Good morning. I'll eventually get myself together. Today we're looking at the priest of the Mosaic Covenant and how that is a foreshadowing of Christ. You know, as as is always the case when I'm in the pulpit, we'll be all over the Bible. So I can tell you where to start, but we're not going to stay there. Uh, We're going to start in the book of Exodus, chapter 28. I tried to list all of the passages that we're looking at, or I will be looking at, in the bulletin on the outline there on the back. So if you lose track or get lost, hopefully the place I'm going to is there in the outline. So let's pray, asking for the Lord's blessing on this time of looking into His Word and trying to understand this concept of priesthood. And then we'll get started with looking at it. Oh Lord, thank You for Your goodness to give us the priesthood. The priesthood of the Old Covenant to see how it points to Jesus. Thank You for the priesthood of Jesus and then the gift of giving us a priesthood ourselves. And I pray, Lord, that today as we look at this Word, Your Spirit would be here present with us, opening our eyes and opening our ears and opening our hearts and our minds, that each of us would be pricked in the places where our hearts and minds need to be pricked, that we would be built up and encouraged and emboldened even in the places of our hearts and minds that need to be built up and emboldened. And we pray, Lord, that you would bless us with yourself this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you would put the words into my mouth that you want to be spoken and heard by everyone present in this room, by your people, for your glory and our good. And we ask it, Father, because we believe that you want to give this to us as a good, good Father. And in Jesus' holy name we ask it. Amen. All right. So Exodus chapter 28. I'm just going to have to read a bunch here. I'll be honest with you. This was a big challenge to put this together this week because last week when we were looking at the animal sacrifices and how that points to Jesus, that was just, it was just all there. All I had to do was point it out. This one's more abstract. It's, it's more difficult to pull all the pieces together and make sense with it. And so, As a result, I'm just going to have to read a lot today. And part of it is, like I said at the introduction of this sermon last week, that because we don't know the Old Testament very well, we don't understand certain pieces very well. And this is one of those places where a lot of times when we're reading our Bible, like if you have a regular reading program and you try to read through the Bible in a year or two years or whatever, this is one of these places where it's tempting to just sort of skip, right? Because it's like, why do I need to understand this detail? Why do I care about what kind of cloth they use to make this guy's robe? Why do I care? Well, I'm going to try and explain why you should care. And we'll walk through this. And so I'm not going to read the whole thing of chapter 28, but I do need to read these first 30 verses of chapter 28 in the book of Exodus. This is about the priestly garments. And remember, nothing is random. In Scripture, when God gives this kind of detail about what these priests are supposed to wear, he has a reason for doing it. And our job is to find out why he cares this much to give this kind of detail. 
So verse 1, then he's speaking to Moses, bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him for among the people of Israel to serve me as priest. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithmar, and you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with a spirit of skill that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. Just, I said, I can't, I'm sorry. This is, I have to put, I can't just skip this. Do you see what God did? He says, I want this kind of detail in the things they're wearing. And I have put skill in specific persons so they can build it. He not only provides the detail, he not only provides the goods and the necessary materials, he even provides the skills necessary to do the work. And you shall speak to all the skillful whom I filled with a spirit of skill that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make. A breast piece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checker work, a turban, and a sash. They shall make the holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue, purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. And you shall make the ephod of gold and blue and purple and scarlet yarns and of fine twilled linen. Skillfully worked, it shall have two shoulder pieces attached to its edges so that it may be joined together. And the skillfully woven band on it shall be made like it and be one piece with it of gold, blue, purple, scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. You shall take two ox stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on one stone, and the names of the remaining six on the other stone in their order of birth. As a jeweler engraves a signet, so you shall engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel, and you shall enclose them in settings of gold filigree, and you shall set the two stones on the shoulders priest of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. And you shall make settings of gold filigree and two chains of pure gold twisted like cords. And you shall attach the cord chains to the settings. You shall make a breast piece of judgment in skilled work. In the style of an ephod, you shall make it gold, blue, purple, and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. You shall make it and it shall be square doubled a span in its length and a span in its breadth. You shall set it in four rows of stones, a row of sardius, topaz, carbuncle shall be the first row, the second row an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond, the third row a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst, the fourth row a barrel, an ox, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold filigree, There shall be twelve stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. And they shall be like signets, each engraved with its own name for the twelve tribes. And you shall make for the breastpiece twisted chains like cords of pure gold. And you shall make for the breastpiece two rings of gold and put the two rings on the two edges of the breastpiece. And you shall put the two cords of gold in the two rings and at the edge of the breastpiece and the two ends of the two cords attached 
with filigree and attach it to the shoulder piece of the ephod. And you shall make two rings of gold and put them at the two ends of the breast piece and on the inside edge next to the ephod. And you shall make two rings of gold and attach them in the front, the lower part of the two shoulder pieces of the ephod at its seam above the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And you shall bind the breast piece by its rings to the rings of the ephod with a lace of blue so that it may lie in the skillfully woven band of the ephod. So the breast piece shall not come loose from the ephod. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breast piece of judgment on his heart when he comes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. And in the breast piece of judgment, you shall put the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be on Aaron's heart. And when he goes in before the Lord, thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. You shall make the robe of the ephod of all blue. It shall have an opening for the head in the middle with a woven binding around the opening, like the opening in their garment, so that it may not tear. On its hem, you shall make pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns around them with bales of gold between them, a golden bale and a pomegranate around the hem of the robe. And it shall be on Aaron when he ministers and its sound shall be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out, so he does not die. That's the description that God gives to Moses of how to build the garments that the priests wear when they are ministering in the tabernacle and then eventually in the temple when Solomon builds that. Now, why does he care about all this stuff? So what? I mean, why does it matter? But look at what happens when the priest enters into the tabernacle What is his purpose? What is he doing? He is there to represent the people to God. One of the things that we forget, because we live in the New Testament time, is we forget that the people couldn't go to God. They couldn't walk into the sanctuary like we do. We just walk in here and we sit down and we go straight to the throne room of God because Jesus has given us that kind of access to him. But in that day, you or me walk into that space, we're going to get lit up, literally lit up like a candle. Just burn. That's what happened in Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu. They erroneously, carelessly handled their duties in front of the Lord one day and fire blew out from the Ark of the Covenant and just lit those guys up like a candle. There was nothing left but ashes. When it finished. And that's what happens to a regular person that just walks into the tabernacle and tries to stand before the holiness of God. And we don't get that anymore because that doesn't happen to us. Because of Jesus' work on the cross, we can just walk right straight into the throne room of heaven, to the most holiest place in all the universe, and nothing bad happens to us. In fact, a lot of good things happen to us. When we're standing there. That wasn't even part of the sermon. You can even see that's not even in the outline. Bonus. That's right. Bonus. So what is it that the priest is going and he represents. And look at the things. The stones. 
He has the names of all the people written on two stones that hang right here, sit rather, right here on the shoulder, the edge at the top of the shoulders. Then he has this breast piece that's sewn and attached into the entire robe part itself. And there's four rows of precious stones. And on each one of them is written a name of the tribes of Israel. So that when the priest walks into the tabernacle, he walks into the holy place to do the ministering, to offer the sacrifices, to splatter blood on the altar, all those things that he does, he is actually carrying the names of the people with him into that place as a sign of remembrance. And then the Lord even says, put some bells on the edges of the robe at the bottom so that when he's walking, the bells ring. That'd be a little annoying to me that every step I took, I got these gold bells ringing out. But I guess they could deal with that. But then that raises the question, why? Why do you want gold bells on the bottom of his robe, God? So that he makes a noise like bells clanging. Ugh, just... I just imagine, you know, like fingernails on the chalkboard. Is this guy's trying to walk with these bells all around his robe. Why do you want that, Lord? That's just annoying. What do you think? See, he doesn't exactly give an answer here. But the answer to that question of why the bells? Well, there's two sides to it. From a holiness perspective of God, It's this idea that he doesn't walk in and surprise God. That's the first thing. There's an element of announcing you're coming into the most holy place, the throne room of God, because he ain't worthy to be there. You understand? This is like the the closest analogy I can think of is you and I just busting through the door of the Oval Office and walking right into the president's office and sitting down to talk to him. Who are you and why are you here? How did you get here? You have no business in this room. Right? And then the Secret Service guys come and haul us away and nobody ever sees us or hears from us ever again. We just disappear. Like to a CIA black spot. Okay, I know that's an exaggeration, but you get the point. That's the closest analogy I can give you of what it is for the priest to walk into the holy place in the sanctuary. You're coming into here? Who are you? Oh, you're that guy. The one we said could come in here. Okay, we'll let you in. The other part of it, that he had to have these bells is, if he happens to do something bad while he's there, he's probably going to die. And so if you aren't hearing the bells anymore, somebody's got to go get him. You understand what I'm saying? Right? That guy's dead. Somebody's got to go in there and go get him. And so that was the practical aspect of the bells. As long as you can hear the bells while he's behind the curtain, he's still alive. Everything's okay. If you don't hear the bells, then we've got a big problem. And somebody else has got to go in there. And this is the kind of importance that God is putting on this role of priest and the priesthood. This is not some casual thing. And if you take it casually, you will have an uncasual experience. It will be unpleasant for you. That's what God is trying to communicate. And he's saying, I'm setting apart a specific group of people. 
to do this job. Aaron and his sons, and then all of his sons' descendants after him, they're the only ones. The household of Aaron and Aaron's descendants are the only ones who can put on these garments and come into my sanctuary and do these things. Nobody else can do that. Just them. And I'm only allowing them to do it because I got to let somebody do it. Right? And when we look at this, we see what it is that they're doing, what they're interceding on behalf of the people when they go into the holy area and they offer sacrifices. Remember, this is the place that people can't go into. They can't touch the altar. Right? They can't do this stuff. They had to offer sacrifices, which is Leviticus 6 and 7. And only the priests could place the offerings on the altar and touch it. And you know, the furniture of the temple, uh, the first six chapters of Leviticus, describe these duties that only they can do. And then you had the big one, which is the high priest, not just a regular priest, but the high priest, like the top guy, the number one guy, the high priest, and then there's other priests. And only the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies. And then he could only do that one day out of the year. One day out of 365 days is someone allowed into the Holy of Holies, which is where the Ark of the Covenant is. That's considered God's throne room. The image of the Ark of the Covenant sitting in the most Holy of Holies is that that is his throne. He is sitting there between the cherubims on the lid of this thing, that's his seat. And he is sitting there. And you are literally in his presence when you enter the most holy of holies. And no one could go in there except the high priest in only one day a year on the day of atonement. And then he had to do it offering the sacrifice, the atonement sacrifice for that day. And then the other thing is that they serve God continuously in the temple, 24-7, 365. There is never a moment there is not a priest in the tabernacle or in the temple. Never a second. There isn't someone in there. Yes, they can't go to the most holy of holies, but the holy place where all the other stuff that you read about in the tabernacle from the book of Exodus, the table, the menorah, all the, the lamps, all this other stuff that's in there, there is always somebody there. So obviously, you see, you've got to have more than one guy if you're going to staff this room 24-7, 365. And this is what they do. This is their roles. And say, okay, so we kind of understand this. Let me just quickly, I just need to read chapter 29, 1 through 9. I want to read 19 and 20, 21 as well, but I'll just do these first nine verses. Now, this is what you shall do to them to consecrate them. All right, so now you've been chosen to be a priest. Now I've got to consecrate you and make you holy enough to do this job. Now, this is what you shall do to them to consecrate them, that they may serve me as priest. Take one bull of the herd and two rams without blemish and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil and unleavened wafers smeared with oil. You shall make them a fine wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket and you bring the bull and the two rams. And you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments and put on Aaron the coat 
and the robe of ephod and the ephod and the breast piece and gird him with the skillfully woven band of the ephod and you shall set the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban and on the crown of the turban, I didn't get to read that part, but on the turban, this piece of gold, this gold plate, it says holy unto the Lord. And you shall set the turban on Aaron's head and put the holy crown on the turban and you shall take anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put the coats on them and shall gird Aaron and his sons with sashes and binding caps on them. And the priesthood shall be theirs by a statute forever. Thus you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. And if we go on to read the rest of this, it gets pretty bloody. Moses has to kill this bull and the two rams. He has to take part of the blood and sprinkle it up on the altar. He has to put all the body parts on the altar and burn it as a burnt offering. He's supposed to take some of the blood and put it on their right thumb, on their right big toe as part of their anointing and consecration. These guys have to be covered in the blood of the sacrifice to be made holy enough to perform their job as priest. This is what it means to be a priest under the old covenant. This is what it takes just to stand in the presence of God and his holiness. And then they go and do their jobs of offering the sacrifices and all these other things that I listed that are their priestly duties as part of the covenant to represent the people. And they do all of this as the single representative of the whole body, the whole group, the entire nation. The names of each tribe are written on precious stones that are then sewn into their garments. And they carry those names directly into... Listen, I don't know about you, but when I start, it's tough enough for me just to represent myself in public. Right? And so you give me the task of representing some other person or some other group. I'm like, oh, oh, I don't want to do that because I'll mess up, right? If I mess up, I'm getting a bad reputation on the people that I represent, right? Well, you just don't have to represent them to other people. You've got to represent them to God. You even have their names written on your chest. This is, I don't know about you, but I would not want this job. I would not want this job. And this is what they do. God wanted the names of his people in front of his face every time the priest went into the holy place to offer sacrifices and fulfill their duties. And so does Jesus. Jesus now, as he sits in the throne room of heaven, Speaking to our Heavenly Father, He has our names written on His chest. I don't know exactly how it looks or how that works, but He represents us to Him with our names written on His body. With the scars in His hands and His feet and the spear wound in His side. He stands there representing his people, us. This is what it means for Jesus to take his role as the great high priest of the new covenant. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 4. 
I'm going to start in verse 14 of chapter 4, and then I'm going to read through verse 9 of chapter 5, and then I'm going to jump to chapter 7. So Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Did you hear that? This priest actually makes it possible for us to go into the holy place with him. Those priests in the Old Testament couldn't do that. They couldn't take anybody with them. And Jesus takes all of us with him into the holy place. Chapter 5, verse 1. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Meaning Jesus can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward because Jesus himself was set with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We're going to deal with Melchizedek all by himself next week. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who is able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Even Jesus didn't claim the high priesthood for himself. He was appointed to it by God the Father, just the way God appointed Aaron to be the high priest. Look, nobody makes himself high priest. And if they do, they probably aren't going to last very long in that job. And Jesus himself didn't make himself a high priest. He was appointed to it by God the Father. Now, let's jump over to chapter 7, verse 22 of the book of Hebrews. Uh, This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily. For his own sins, and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all, when he offered up himself. 
For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priest, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that is the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. There we see it. The priesthood in the Old Testament was a shadow of what Jesus is to do in the heavenly places. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old as the covenant that he mediates is better than the old one, since it is enacted on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. The old covenant, the second half of the book of Exodus is all about the temple or the tabernacle, the way it's built, the things that are supposed to be in it. Everything we read about the tabernacle and then eventually about the temple is to create an earthly image of what it's like in heaven. Everything that's described there with all the detail that is described, it's described that way because that's what it looks like in heaven. That's the way it looks in the real thing, sort of, because even with all these details, it doesn't look exactly the same. The real thing is even better than the imitation. Do you understand that the tabernacle and the temple were just imitations of the real thing in heaven? They were the best that anybody could do here on earth, but it's just a copy. It's just a photocopy. It happens to be in color. The real thing is even more glorious. And how do we know that? Because Isaiah got a glimpse of the real thing. Ezekiel got a glimpse of the real thing. John, the apostle, got a glimpse of the real thing. And they described them for us as best they could. And even they said, there are not words to accurately describe what we saw. You can't be described in human words what we saw. It's just an imitation. And the old covenant, even in itself, was a copy and an imitation of the real thing. And the real thing was this covenant of the new covenant, the covenant of Jesus, where he is the high priest and we are his people and he is carrying our names before our father every second of every hour of every day of every week of every month of every year of every decade of every century of every eon he is there interceding for us that's right praise god <laughs> if you don't if you don't feel that i feel bad for you that you don't feel the glory and joy of His 
365 intercession for you with God the Father. And of course, this whole idea of priesthood wouldn't be complete unless I go to 1 Peter chapter 2, which is just a few pages over from where you are in the book of Hebrews. 1 Peter chapter 2, the first 10 verses of chapter 2. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, remember there's that stone thing again, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But us, won't you get that? But us, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. How is it that we can go with Jesus into the most holy places? Because he has made us his priest as well. Under the old covenant, the people in the wilderness with Moses, they never got to see the holy places. They were never allowed to go there. You and I are made a priesthood so that we can go into the holy places. That we can represent others to God the Father. So, this is like, wow, this is amazing. Great stuff. What am I going to say? So what? So what? The first so what is don't fall for old covenant rituals when your hope is in new covenant grace. Don't fall for the old covenant rituals when your hope is in new covenant grace. You are a priest by the blood of Jesus. You have been sanctified that is just how holy the blood of Jesus is. It is so holy, it doesn't just wash us clean of our sins, it sanctifies us so that we can be priests as well. All those things that's in the Old Testament about the Old Mosaic Covenant, about how you've got to be really careful about what you do and only those who've been chosen and appointed by God can be the priest, that's all of us. That's how sanctifying His blood is. Anybody in this room, every single one of us can be priest. That we can be that holy to walk into the holy of holies. Number two, 
As a new covenant priest, you and I can enter directly to the holy place of heaven and intercede on behalf of others and ourselves, especially unbelievers. I think this is the most important point about us being priests and being able to enter into the holy of holies and intercede for those who are not believers. If they haven't been washed in the blood of Jesus, they can't go there. We are the only ones that can take their names before the Father. We are the only ones who can have their names written over our hearts and carried before God the Father as interceders in the holy places. Do not be derelict in that duty. They can't take their names before the Father, so you and I need to take them. Jesus is in the most holy place, perpetually interceding on our behalf directly with the Father, 24-7-365. You and I do not need another human acting as a go-between. This is one of the major conflicts between Catholicism and Protestantism. We don't need someone to go in between. We are our own intercessors because we are priests, having been sanctified by the blood of Jesus, chosen by God for the priesthood, and anointed with the Holy Spirit. Remember, oil anointing in the Old Testament is a parallel to spirit anointing in the New Testament. We have been anointed with the holy oil of the Holy Spirit for our role as priest. As priests of a new covenant, we still need to be washed and cleansed and sanctified every time we enter our role as priest. Each time when the priest would come from their regular house place or their other duties as just another human being and they would enter into the temple area or the sanctuary, the tabernacle area to start their role, get on the clock as a priest, they had to be washed. They had to be just like being baptized. They had to be completely dunked under water and come up as part of the ceremonial washing. Then they had to offer the sacrifice for their own cleansiness and sanctification. Then they were to put on the robes and all the vestments of the priesthood. Then they could go and do their jobs. This is where we are still like the Old Testament priest. We still need to be washed and cleansed and sanctified every time we enter into our role as priests, just as the Old Testament priests were. However, ours is different. Our cleansing and sanctification is much easier and faster than theirs was. We don't have to get back in the baptismal pool every time we want to approach the throne of grace. We don't need to go find a spotless, perfect, unblemished bull or ram and sacrifice it on a burnt offer just to enter into the throne room of God. We simply call on the blood of Jesus to cleanse us and sanctify us again. I, I go into the throne room as a clean, sanctified, washed in the blood of Jesus, disciple and priest of, of Jesus Christ. And then I intercede. I do the things I'm doing before our Father. And then I exit that throne room and come back out into the regular human life. And I get soiled with my own sin and my bad reactions to the things that other people do around me. And I have to go and get cleansed again before I can enter into his presence. But all I have to do is claim the blood of Jesus and I am clean. All you have to do is claim the blood of Jesus 
and you are clean. You are sanctified. You are holy. You are a fully empowered priest ready to enter into the most holy place and do your duties as a priest. Just call upon the blood of Jesus to cleanse us and sanctify us again. And that's where I'm going to leave you this morning. You're a priest. And all you need is the blood of Jesus. That's all. Nothing more and nothing less than the blood of Jesus. And so I plead with you this day, wash yourself in the blood of Jesus. If you have never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, if you've never given your whole being and personhood over to His work on the cross to save you and redeem you and sanctify you, then today is the day to take your first bath in the blood of Jesus. If you know Jesus as your Savior, then I just remind you to once again take the blood of Jesus and cleanse and sanctify your whole personhood. Everything. Look, we're not just talking about cleaning the outside with the blood of Jesus. We're cleaning up our mind, our heart, and our souls along with the body when we take the blood of Jesus. Cling to the blood of Jesus and enjoy your role as a priest before our great Father. That's my plea to you. Enjoy being a priest. Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you for the new covenant of grace. The promises that are greater than all the promises of the old covenant. Thank you, Father, that you sanctify us and you make us holy and you let us come into your presence like only these Old Testament priests could do in the past. But now we get to do it every day, as many times in a day as we want. In Jesus' name, Father, make us joyful. Amen.